This case file, the theorists are happy to welcome our special guest, Daniel Krauss, a New York Times best-selling author. Daniel, up to now, has authored 11 award-winning titles and worked on projects with legends like George Romero and Guillermo del Toro. His books plumb the dark depths of horror and have plots that often revolve around terrifying and incredible creatures. The theorists invited him onto the show to discuss his most recent release, Bent Heavens, a dark tale of alien horror that explores what it means to be human and how quickly that can change when confronted with an alien intelligence. Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing, Case File 130. I'm Braden. I'm Zell. I'm Dan. Oh, and I'm also Daniel. Oh, shit. <laughs> How are we going to do this? Dan? Daniel. All right. We'll just go that way. No, fight to the death. <laughs> there can be only one. <laughs> well, you deserve it because you've been here longer. <laughs> I can leave if you want. Uh, we've, been, we've been looking to trade them in. So yeah. Oh, perfect. Whoever. You guys trade up. Yeah. Uh, today, we are uh, proud... And we are also very happy to welcome onto our show, uh, Mr. Daniel Kraus, New York Times bestselling author, winner of 2012 Odyssey Award. He's also a finalist for the Bram Stoker Award and uh, many, many other accolades as a thing. So we are happy to have you on board. Uh, today, We um, he was nice enough to uh, lend us a few copies of his new book, Bent Heavens. Bent Heavens. Right. And it is right up our alley. Um, uh, I, I blaze personally, I blazed through this book and I had a real good, good time reading it. And we're happy to welcome here and ask you a few questions. So, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So the book just came out. Was it uh, just what, a couple weeks ago now? Yes, I think it was two weeks ago. I'm terrible with releases. Uh, yeah, eh, maybe a week and a half. Now this is your which um how many books have you how many books is this? This is book number nine. Book Jesus. number nine. Wow. Yeah, we'll we'll trade. You're in, Dan. <laughs> You're out. Okay, I I got a question. I was waiting for I'm I'm still waiting for my copies. They're on their way. Um they're lost in the mail somewhere. I know your publicist said she sent them, so I've just mail out here is painfully slow, but give me an elevator pitch of your book. What's Bent Heavens about? Well, I don't have an elevator pitch per se. Um, I would be terror. I'd be horrified if I was in an elevator. So he tried to pitch me something, <laughs> uh, or vice versa. We got all the time in the world. So don't, don't, when I said, it's elevator a long pitch, elevator, it's a, we're going, it's it's a we're going up to the top man. floor. Yeah. So I mean, that if it's that long and probably queasy i don't want to talk but anyway uh i'll give you the the best i can i can uh, summon which won't be short enough but essentially it's about a high school girl named Liv, and her father once disappeared for a few days and came back naked and raving was saying and i claimed he was abducted by aliens um and then proceeded to sort of appear to sort of lose his mind a little bit and uh, start building alien traps all over his yard. They live in rural Iowa. And eventually he vanishes again. And everyone, you know, he, he wasn't mentally well. Everyone assumes he just sort of vanished into the woods and, and probably died. Uh, so a couple of years later, Liv, who's still in high school, and uh, her best friend, Doug, uh, they finally decide to take down the traps, which they've been resetting every week in sort of honor of the missing dad. Uh, and that's when they, they find that they have indeed uh, trapped something. Um, and it's exactly what their dad always warned. It's an alien. So uh, they, of course, uh, realize now that he, would, he had been right all along. And they feel terrible. They have the alien in the possession, so they have to decide you know, are we going to call the authorities? Or are we going to somehow take this matter into their own hands? 
And so the book really becomes about uh, the sort of the, the latter option and becomes sort of a look at torture in a way uh, and sort of complicity and uh, moral grayness for sure. And sort of that idea of, you know, how much, how much bad can you do and still be okay if you're accomplishing a good, uh, going towards a good end. So it's a, it's a morally messy book. It's a book, it's a book about aliens, but it's a book about humans. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Now where, so I got to ask, is this, when you're writing about aliens and stuff like that, is that coming from a fascination with the topic of, of UFOs and aliens or just wanting to try something new? Like, where do you get the inspiration for this book? Well, it's not, it's not anything particularly focused on aliens. It wasn't, I, I generally I don't have a checklist. This is my ninth book and I don't think I have that many other recognizable type of subgenre books. I don't, it's not like I have like an, an alien or a, like a, a vampire book and a werewolf yeah, book. Right. Uh, so, that, so I definitely don't have a list that I'm, I'm sort of trying to hit. Uh, it was more that I'm interested in themes that just made the alien make sense. Uh, you know, particular themes of sort of somebody who was an alien in the sense of being unlike you. So that, yeah. that's really the, what guided the choice here. Right. Now, was there any like real life, like alien conspiracies or paranormal like events that inspired you on this book or was it more just all out of imagination? Well, not directly. No. I mean, there's, there, there wasn't, and there isn't a sort of event that, that particularly, you know, haunts me or I'm obsessed with, uh, but there were certainly, you know, things that I saw, you know, pieces of art that I saw that, that bothered me in some way, you know, like I, I, I was, I've been recently, um, in fact, just mailed them off to today. Um, there's a, there's a university that has acquired my archives. So it's sort of a rolling archive. So when I feel ready to send them a bunch of drafts and notes for the next book, I can send it to them. And so I was looking through all my sort of juvenilia, which is the stories that I wrote when I was a little kid up through high school. And then I found this short story that I wrote in middle school uh, that was based on a dream that I had that was an alien dream. And that book directly became my book Scowler. Uh, And the the dream was about sort of a a spaceship, uh, sort of Twilight Zone looking saucer spaceship uh, crashing in a, a farm's field and sort of this gas kind of pouring out of it and affecting the people who live there. So a lot of my books have kind of worked this way where I have ideas from childhood or, you know, decades ago, and I just sort of foster them and grow them in my brain until, you know, they suddenly pop out as a book. So, th- so obviously there's something about aliens uh, to some extent that has scared me throughout the years. And really the horror in Bent Heavens isn't that far from that dream that I had in eighth grade, where it's really much more about the body. Like it's, it almost fits into body horror type of stuff. It's about alien flesh and human flesh and how it's different and how it's not different. Um, and it's that kind of visceral stuff that I tend to respond to. Cool. Nikki, any, any, uh, quick spoilers or hints of what type of aliens you use in the book? What could they, would they, are they, are they expecting more like a, a xenomorph, like that universe or more like a Paul of the animated Paul or somewhere in the middle? It's, that's, that's quite the two extremes. <laughs> I know we're in the middle. You I te- either have I teed a it up. I teed it alien up. Is it or a xenomorph or a predator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's directly in between. It's, it's sort of a humanoid, not sort of a. Not exactly a, you know, communion type gray or something like that, but uh, a humanoid creature that looks, that has, you know, two arms and two legs. Some of its bones are sort of exterior, but it's, it's human-esque. Human-esque. Awesome. In the book, um, what I really liked about it is that you go on 
um, at least you mentioned some of the stuff, like there are a couple like conspiracies or a couple of, uh, uh, I know you talk about some types of experiments, classified government experiments in the book. Um, how much time did you spend to research about those things? You make some, like you mentioned some, some specific ones. And, um, I was wondering how much did you like, did you kind of weave those in there? Did did you hear about them or were you kind of like, uh, did you just start looking and then just pick one up? That's that sounds good. I'm sure it was research based. Um, I, I love research. I do tons and tons of research. Um, one of my books, that must be a Dan thing. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, so, you know, for a book, I might read 30 other books of research. Um, you can't see how tall my ceiling is, but for one of my books, which was this epic historical novel, I literally had books to the ceiling. Uh, so, but for this, Ben Havens was one of the, the lower uh, levels of research I've had to do. There wasn't that much, and I and I didn't want to know. I didn't need or want to know that much. These these are the people in the books. In the book, aside from one character who begins to learn about aliens. You know, they don't know, they don't know anything. They just know what the common person on the street would know. Uh, so the the specifics you're talking about, those would have come from me just doing uh, um, searches. Uh, I probably went to, um, I know I went to some uh, alien or sci-fi type of forums. Uh, I can't, I couldn't tell you what they were because this book was written three years ago. Right. But, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't deep. I don't want to sell you a hard luck story that I, you didn't spend 10,000 hours on MK ultra or anything like that. It was, um, so so what you're saying is a couple late night YouTube rabbit holes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were definitely some YouTube rabbit holes. Um, and I, I read at least one book that was, um, and maybe it's not to you guys. I don't know how deep into the rabbit holes you are, but seeing rabbit holy to me, um, it was a like a self-published book on Amazon called what was it called? It was called The Aliens and the Scalpel. That, that the scalpel. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's very well known. Uh, probably not, but it's probably it's probably in our in our wee house somewhere. I probably come across it and just said, mm, no. Someone's <laughs> about someone's about to yell at us. It looks like a book that you would look at and say, mm, no. Uh, that, and that's precisely why I got. It. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would be like that's that, if I were writing a book, I'd be like, yes, let's look at that one. <laughs> Because it it looked, it looked like the good kind of nuts. Like it, uh, what I listen. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, it was like deep focus. Right. And it was, and it was was about, like it says, about aliens and scalpels, and it was about you know pieces of alien technology being dug into people's flesh and stuff. Um, It doesn't make it didn't make a lot of sense to me, but I love that sort of. Uh, obsession that the author clearly had with it. Right. That's, uh, yeah, that's right down our alley of crazy. Cause we've had, uh, we, you know, we have some people that send us stuff and how they've, uh, get x-rays of stuff done. Of right. bits that met bits of metal in them and that they can't account for. So yeah, that's, that's right. That is, uh, it's, it's always really interesting because, on face value, it's like you're listening to these stories from these people and you're like, well, listen, I have no reason to believe you, but I have no reason not to believe you either. So it's at face value, you telling me this, I'm like, well, that's a really interesting idea. It's a fascinating object. Even if I don't believe a word of it, it's fascinating anyway. It's fascinating that somebody, um, let's say it's entirely delusional. It's still interesting that somebody believed in it so deeply and wrote such a intense, dense, immersive book that has all these details and schematas and charts and footnotes. Uh, that kind of obsession is intrinsically interesting. I think. Now, was there anything now the book, like, uh, I, I read it, like, uh, it didn't take me that long to read it. Um, you know, it's rel- for me, it was like relatively short, but um, it, like, did you edit anything out of the book, or was there stuff that you they, they told you like, ah, take that out? Like, uh... this book actually was had a more heavy editing in it than maybe any book I've ever done. Oh. And some of that, you know, won't be of great interest. 
uh, it'll be, you know, this character wasn't developed enough or this character uh, starts in an angry place and ends in an angry place and there's not enough sort of change in the character. Some of that stuff is just sort of, you know, writery stuff. Uh, there was originally a lot more torture, actually. Uh, there was a there was a draft of it that was much more punishing in that sense. That uh, as it is now, you know, there's there's like a page now, a page or a page and a half that sort of quickly runs through a bunch of things they do to the sailing. Yeah, and it's intense. Like <laughs> I'd have to say, it's like it's pretty intense. I was like, okay. Imagine right. if those two pages were like thirty pages. Oh man, <laughs> I'd be curled up on the floor. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it was just raw depictions of torture. There was character stuff in there too, but right. um, a lot of that, a lot of his uh, Doug's specific things he was testing the alien for um, ultimately got cut out. Uh, and, I, and I feel kind of mixed about it in some ways. I think it makes it a much better book. I think it's an, uh, an easier book for more people to read. Uh, but, there, you know, I really got probably too deep into learning about, you know, the U.S. torture program. And there was part of me that really wanted to sort of, I don't want to say hurt people when they read it, but like to make them really palpably feel it. Make an impact more kind of. Yeah. Make an impact. I think I, I, I'm already feeling a hashtag coming out of this hashtag release the Kraus cut. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, well, okay. If you can get like a million, a million retweets on that, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. All right. All right. Get, get I'll on guarantee that. you one. Get on it. Me. <laughs> it's going out on our Twitter. Good. But that's, uh, no, I've, like I said, I'm, I'm, I've been waiting to dig in. Dan had high praise for it. So, um, also, we got a seg book. So next month's uh, giveaway, we're going to feature your book as well in our monthly giveaway. So uh, that'll be a, to one lucky uh, theorite will get a copy. Cool. So, uh, yeah, after after you, um, you definitely finished this book. We wanted to talk to you about, we know that you, uh, our listeners might not know that you've worked on at least uh, two other projects with Guillermo del Toro and people should know that name um you've uh you worked on the the novelization of shape of water is that correct and um troll hunters mm-hmm. all right um i know shape of water great film i loved it i thought it was super fun um and then you uh so how i kind of want to know like how do they approach how did they approach you with that like how were they like you're the guy to write it uh-huh well they're both uh, very different. In the case of uh, Troll Hunters, uh, which uh, began as a book and then it was uh, adapted to the Netflix show. Right, right. Um, it was it was really a matter of uh, Guillermo had this book he was contracted to write um, and decided he wanted a, a co-author. And he had recently read one of my books called Rotters. It's about Ray Robin. Um, and just really liked it. So I think it was just sort of good timing. Um so that's how that happened. And Shape of Water was, uh, it was actually during one of our discussions about troll hunters, I told them this idea I'd had when I was younger. That's the, sort of the premise of Shape of Water. Uh, and my idea was sort of a creature from a black lagoon type creature is in a lab and a maid breaks the creature out and puts it in her tub. So then that was the extent of the idea. <laughs> and I told him that and he loved it. And, uh, Eventually, he wrote the screenplay, and then I took the screenplay with various other things that I had been thinking of, because I'd always thought I'd write it as a novel. Um, took that stuff, added it to the screenplay he had written, and then came up with the book, and they were released um, more or less simultaneously. Yeah, it's uh, both of them. Like, the concept is really, it's really good. I, I like the, fuck, like, I can't, the whole thing for me is kind of, uh, I mean, it's definitely Hellboy E, like that that kind of that kind of aquatic creature always reminds me of the Abe Sapien, the, yeah. the you know that kind of that creature from the thing. But even when you go into that, it almost reminds me of stuff like it, it reaches me back to like H.P. Lovecraft stuff. I mean, almost most most horror genres that I most horror books or things like that that, that you can reach back into that aquatic 
that kind of stuff always pulls me into HP Lovecraft. But, um, yeah, I just really liked it. How you, you never really know at like what it is, you know, you want to know that you leave, you leave so much to the imagination, just, just a little bit, like you give a little pieces of it and it's really good. Um, of that, like, I thought, I thought that was really just of that kind of, I don't know, more is less or less is more, sorry. Less is more. I feel like that. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. And most of those influences, if if you're seeing them in the movie, they're they're almost all Guillermo. Like, uh, I do not have a lot of experience with H.P. Lovecraft. I have some. I read a few stories. Um, I know almost nothing about Hellboy. Uh, <laughs> so those definitely were in my head. But I did love Creatures from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, that's classic. That was my big dude. That that movie still. Like I'll watch that movie, and when you get that stinger, they play that music stinger, and his hand pops up from out of the water. Every time, every time, freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> it's it's beautiful. It's like, yeah, when I was a kid, for some reason, you know, of course, I was in the '80s, so a lot of the Universal horror movies didn't do it much for me as a little kid. Uh, they were just boring old black and white movies to me back then. Except, I always loved Black Lagoon. Even as a kid, there was something about it that I liked. I haven't seen that for, who knows, 15 years. I got to just make sure I'm thinking the same one. It's the one where the kids are on the dock, right? In the middle of the water. What? What are you talking I about? I don't think I've seen it. You've I don't think seen I've seen it. Okay. You guys talking I about thought- the creep show episode. <laughs> oh, am I? That's what we were talking about before, but we're not. We're talking about Creature of the Black Lagoon. There's I, no I've kids on the dock, I'm afraid. <laughs> 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 well, not to, there are, wait, there are on the second one i've seen the sequel i know i've seen the i've seen the sequel which is also the sequel now kind of reminds me it almost kind of parallels with your book like the whole kind of torture of the humanoid creature thing now that i think about it no, wait do you mean shape of water reminds you of ben Hatton? No, no no the no creature from the black lagoon the second one that's right in the sequel they uh take they actually take the creature to a lab right they take him to like sea world or like they take him to like a Aquatic research oh, thing. SeaWorld, where they, they torture all aquatic creatures. <laughs> exactly. This is Blackfish before Blackfish. Exactly. But yeah, no, I saw like, uh, now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, that kind of parallels with the with your book. So I'm like, yeah, how they, uh, you know, how do you... How, what's, what's funny is that, of course, as a kid, I never saw the sequels. They, they were never on. I just saw Creatures Black Lagoon. So when I was much older than... When I finally found the sequel, saw the sequel, I was like, oh my God, they take him to a lab. After that, you know, there's nothing similar, but uh, they do take him to a lab. Yeah. I was like, so, 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 I think about it. This is pretty cool. But the whole kind of line between, you know, scientific study and torture, like where, for me, where's the line? I think about it. It's funny. Out of all the interviews I've done for, for Ben Havens, it, I don't know that it's ever come up or that Ben Havens and Shape of Water are really sort of, two sides of a weird coin. Yeah. Uh, they both involve humanoid creatures who at least in some part of the story are, are captured and tortured and really shape of water is really kind of a much warmer film. It's about love and Ben heavens is the, the much darker side of it where, you know, even your protagonists are doing the, some of the worst yeah. things imaginable. So it takes a yeah two two yeah two sides of a different coin, which is definitely interesting. I can't. Yeah, I should stop writing about torture though. <laughs> <laughs> next one, next one, just flip flip onto the other side. <laughs> yeah. Back to love and warmth. So, <laughs> uh, so then we were also going to ask you, because um, uh, we were talking about before we even started recording, um, what are your some of your favorite. You know, because I mean, it, when you when you're a writer, I mean, obviously you need like lots of insp- inspiration. Like that, uh, that's how I understand it. You need lots of research. You need a lot of stuff, material to kind of think about. So, like when you when you're going to write some of your things, like what what influences from sci-fi horror genre movie or books are like your favorites to kind of draw on? Do you do you have like a a kind of go to that you're like? I really like this guy's style or I really like the concept from these one, these movies. I would kind of want to draw on that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I definitely watch all genres. Um, I try to try to spread it out as much as I can. 
got my Criterion channel and I'm good. <laughs> I got Criterion and Shutter. That's pretty go. much all I all I need. Um, I think I put Zell onto Shutter because we pulled up Mandy. Mandy we had to get it to and get then, watch Mandy. And then we watched uh, what was the one? Fuck. Street Trash. Oh, Street Trash. Oh, that was so bad. <laughs> yeah, like it was a trauma film, so it was like real. Fu- it was real fucking nasty. Like <laughs> it's like, yeah. I can't quite pin down the plot to that movie though. <laughs> it was really bad. I was like, I thought no, it was about non-existent hooch, but then it takes some wild turns. Yeah, that's one of those ones. I'm not sure they knew what it was about, but they they had a lot of goo. <laughs> and use it somewhere. Move the budget on goo for sure. So you know, I was trying to think of really. I mean, there's tons of horror movies that I love, uh, but I was, what I was trying to think about for this question was: Are there sort of sci-fi horror movies that I like? And I didn't come up with a huge list in my head, but you know, there are a few. That I, and then some of them are, you know, well-known. Uh, I still think, I know it's not considered a horror film, but Close Encounters has some really scary scenes in it. It does. Uh, that still yeah. freak me out. I just, I, we just watched it for, for an episode. Like we had just watched it. I'd actually, it was the first time I'd watched it all the way through. And I was like, this is, yeah, it's a great movie. Part of me is still like Richard Dreyfus is still an asshole all the way through. Like I really don't like him through most of the movie now, <laughs> but but there are some genuinely terrifying parts. There really are. There really are. They're surrounded by you know family hijinks and <laughs> warm-hearted stuff. But man, when it's scary, it's scary. And I'm going to get more obscured with you in a minute. But to stick super uh, commercial, I think one of Spielberg's best movies. And it's totally underrated and underseen is War of the Worlds. Uh, it is I agree. so intense. I watched it again two or three years ago and really just blew me away. Like it's, I don't know what was going on in the world that we sort of skipped over how amazing that movie is, but it is also. You want to talk about the one with Tom Cruise? Yeah. That, that version. Yeah, that was good. Dog, uh, the, I've always felt Spielberg's always really good with sound. Oh. Like he's always really good with sound and music. He's always really good. And that sound of the, the sound of the robots, like the Martian robots is always just like, it, that was, that was always the scariest thing in that whole movie. I was like, but there, but he's really good at tension building as well. Like when they're in the house in the basement, like that's, that was pretty. Is, is that, is that movie not universal? I always just thought that movie was universally loved. I didn't think so, or it seems like in any discussion about Spielberg anyway, it never comes up. Oh, because I, I love I that movie. Maybe, did he produce, did he direct it, produce and direct it? Okay. It is a bleak little movie. Yeah, I don't know why a lot of people, like, I I genuinely. I love I the concept of the, of the ships already being buried here. That was pretty cool. Oh, so cool. Dude, when they're in the basement with Tim Robbins, and Tim Robbins is losing his fucking mind down there I was like that was the scariest part of the whole movie <laughs> alright so let, so more obscure <clears throat> I have a real soft spot for uh, a movie that nobody likes but maybe this is my crowd maybe I finally found <laughs> my people I don't know uh, it is a reviled found footage horror movie called Apollo 18 I know it. Uh, yeah, Wait, the one, Apollo, yeah. The one they would go to the moon. I love it. No, it's the lost, the lost footage from when they go to the moon. The lost moon mission. <laughs> the last moon. I've never mission, seen but, it, but yeah. I know of it. It was ne- the last moon mission footage was never never released, and this movie tells That's you it. why. That's it. Uh, I just love that movie. I I couldn't believe. I, I don't know why. I can't figure it out why why everyone doesn't love this movie. It's uh it's verisimilitude, and it's sort of like. Uh, found footage from the 60s style is really impressive. Like it, it really does look like the kind of cameras they would have, the sort of early fuzzy video cameras and then the 16 millimeter cameras the crew is using. Uh, and when it sort of gets to its reveal of what I guess the aliens are, which most people thought was just hilariously stupid. I don't know, man. I thought it was pretty cool. I liked it. Uh, they were just c- clever monsters that make 
almost idiotically delightful sense. Like you're on the, <laughs> I don't know, I guess I don't want to spoil it, but you're on the moon. How do you hide the monsters on the moon? It's just this barren, rocky landscape. It's brilliant. Uh, and then there's this 80 movie, this 80s movie called Extro. You guys know Extro? Yeah, I know Extro. Extro one, two. There's three, like three of them. There's like four, four of them. There's a lot of them. There's at least three. Yeah. But the first one, and for people who don't know it, that's it's XTRO. Yeah. It's a really gooey. That's probably the best word for it. Gooey. Yeah. Alien movie. That's, uh, you know, kind of feels like. I don't know if it was post the thing or not. Yeah. But has that sort of influence. It's not similar in plot really, but uh, just has that slimy, yeah, uh, yucky kind of feel. And for years it was only on, of course, like everything else was only on VHS. Um, and it was hard to see, but now I think it's, it's been, I think it's probably out of blue right now. I think it seems like there was a resurgence of extra a few years ago. Yeah. You can dig it up. Like if you look hard enough, you can dig it up. I know I've watched at least two. I might've watched three, but I wasn't paying attention too hard to three. At that point it gets kind of weird. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, you say oh, these are all obscure movies, but it's like I've, you know, this is me, all Dan I does. Love, this is all our Dan yeah. does is watch the most obscure horror movies you'll ever you can ever find. <laughs> there is there is a definitely I like I was always a big fan of Mystery Science Theater three thousand, so I've always like I just I dig up old horror movies and I just love them to to death. Like if, if the 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 worse they are, the better. But I'm also really a big fan of practical effects. Like like you said, like the gooey stuff, like that's always, that's my jam. Like I'm always really happy about that. And But it, it really doesn't get any better. Like you said, you mentioned The Thing. That's probably my favorite sci-fi horror. Like that is probably, besides the original Alien, which I'm still scared to watch. They're fine. Like the, the Thing is like the pinnacle for me. It's like that is. The Thing, yeah. And um, I remember reading a little factoid about it where they were saying that uh, originally in one of the one of the parts where they had the one of the monsters when they do the blood test scene. And that monster, um, they said that was not the original one. That was the that was the secondary one. Like they had another one they had built before, but they had burned it or it had gotten damaged somehow and they couldn't use it. And then that was their secondary one to go to. And I was like, why? That was the that was the backup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it doesn't really get, that's, you know, prime, was that John, that's John Carpenter, right? That's Carpenter. John, yeah, John Carpenter. Yeah, it's, um, that was, I, I'm such a pussy, I have to wait for about 30 years to watch a horror movie <laughs> so that I can go like, look how bad that looks. I'm not scared. I'd never be scared of that. Yeah, and then it still terrifies me. I was just talking to someone um, a couple of weeks ago about Mystery Science Theater, and she was asking me if I had seen uh, Laser Blast. You know, Laser Blast? Yep, I've seen it multiple times. <laughs> but I, and I had seen it. You're just making up movie. You guys are just making up movie names and Dan's agreeing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Dan thing. Yeah, like we, yeah, we have yeah. like this mind yeah, meld. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a Mystery Science Theater version of Laser Blast, but I, ha I haven't seen that. I actually just saw Laser Blast, right. uh, which again is a real chintzy, cheap movie. But I remember, you know, it had a premise that I liked, which was correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more or less, uh, like a young guy and he, uh, I don't know how, but it's some sort of alien gun. Yeah. It's like grafted onto his hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, and again, you're, it's kind of showing how I'm continually interested in, in body stuff. Like I, I, even though it's a silly movie, I find the, the, the prospect of something alien being attached to uh, intrinsically interesting. So I don't care if it's like a cardboard cutout. <laughs> shit across. I'm, I'm, I'm in because I'm like, Oh, there's something alien stuck to me. Yeah. That movie's got some quality stop motion animation. I remember that. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's very, um, you know, for me, it like reminds me of, uh, you know, Spider-Man and the symbiote. Like it's like that, it starts to take control and it, it, it changes you in some way where it's like, you're, you're not, you're not in control anymore or either like you're something else. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying is if, 
you know, if some giant director took the plummet, Paul Thomas Anderson says, all right, I'm going to direct Paul P.T. Anderson's laser blast. There's, there's something there that could be great. You know, there's something that's cool enough about that premise that if you took it seriously enough, uh, could be, you know, be unnerving. Yeah. Um, we were, we were talking about the, uh, the documentary about, um, what is, uh, sorry, what, what's the guy's name? The guy who did, um, the Isle of Dr. Monroe. Uh, yeah. Lost Souls. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about that documentary the other day and I just remember like we watched it and it's like, I remember seeing the concept art for that movie. And I was like, man, like there's so much potential for something there that that's like that, that would be something they should, that they should revisit. Well, I know the director Richard Stanley is, uh, he still wants to do it. And now that he's made, you know, Uh, color out of space, um, and apparently, you know, two more Lovecraft stories coming up. He, who knows, he might finally, attain the muscle to make it. I would be, I'd be really interested to see it. Cause I remember watching it as a kid and I was like, this is kind of dumb. And you know, I think I've probably watched it cause it had Val Kilmer in it and he was Batman. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to watch this cause it's got Batman in it. But, um, I just remember it being like really weird. And, but like now when you go back and revisit, I'm like, Oh, this should have been so much more. Yeah. There are pieces of that movie as, as it exists now that are, Pretty fascinating, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a mess overall. I think because um, you like uh, you mentioned about you know going back and revisiting some of your old work and 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 stuff like that. So you go back and visit that kind of time in your life where you are, you know, your your imagination is unbound as a kid, like as a child. I always think that's kind of a now that you say it, it's kind of like the best time to kind of find inspiration for some of your works. Um, yeah. I have an unusual number of my books based on ideas from when I was in high school and younger. And I always think that if there were, there's so much, and then you also kind of said like, Oh, you can find so much good stuff and stuff that isn't that good. You know, like you can go back and find an alien, the scalpel and you can find little bits and pieces that you're like, you know what? This is really good. Like if you took this and ran with this, you could really make something out of it. Like there's- years ago, I found it like a thrift store, a VHS tape of a movie called The Severed Arm. Uh, now I haven't looked in a couple of years, so maybe it's popped up on Prime. If somebody, if one of you has a browser up, feel free to look. Uh, and this movie's no good. It's uh, on the VHS anyway. It was so dark you couldn't even barely see what's going on. But it has this great premise and I, probably, probably other movies have used this this uh, general idea but it's a bunch of people who are caught in a cave in and they're stuck in there for a while and eventually they decide well we're going to have to draw straws and one of us is going to lose their arms so the rest of us can eat it uh, and somebody loses the you know draws the shortest straw and they, they cut off his arm and then right then they're saved <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so the rest of the movie then is sort of like a slasher where this guy who lost his arm is going around killing all the rest of them. And it's really, it's not a good movie. Uh, <laughs> but I love that premise. You know, I, if someone had come to me today and said, Krause, we want you to write this movie and it's, here's the setup. This guy cuts off. I mean, I would totally do it. I mean, they're sold. It could be really rich. You know, if you, if you, if you wanted to turn it to a really serious movie, that had this, you know, about, you know, men caught in this space and sort of bravado and almost sort of a deliverance type feel to the sort of uh, interplay between the characters. Uh, it could be great. So, yeah, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. Some In some bad art, there's wonderful pieces of inspiration. I think it's hard to, was, hard to create something perfect all the way through pretty much in anything. Music, writing, yeah, so video. If you, Exactly. So if you've managed to have to, to even to, to achieve one great thing and maybe the great thing, if you're the severed arm is only your premise and everything else is terrible, you still created one great thing. More than most people. That's right. Yeah, I think that's why See, I, I, I would have had the killer just take arms. And he would have <laughs> said the line, we all lost an arm that day. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's better. Like, 
I like that even better because now we're dealing with a bunch of people who are losing their arms and that's much weirder than a bunch of people dying. And dominant Dominant arms arms too. (laughs) Right? You know what I mean? Like I'm picturing an ATT live action. ATT live action coming up. Life has changed. Everyone's now... He says, choose which arm you're going to lose. You choose. He chooses the other. <laughs> right? Like characters getting deep, he, it's getting deep already. He takes all the power. I like this. It's a good premise. <laughs> start, you start, we need to start writing this down. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I, I have a question that might tie maybe everything together a little bit. Cause I've always, I've always been curious cause I've never really talked to an author with your credentials. Um, when you go to write the book, like you get your all your inspiration, you watch all these bad horror movies and you read a hundred books when it comes to like starting to write, like you, you start to put pen to paper. Do you have, what's, what's your motto? Do you just sit in your apartment or do you do like an old school author thing? Like you rent a cabin in the woods with like 40 packs of smokes and you know, a, <laughs> a keg of whiskey and just sit there for two months and write it or how, what's your process? Well, those are definitely two processes. Uh, but then, you know, I know a lot of people, particularly in New York, uh, who, because their apartments are small or whatever, they go to coffee shops. Like that's, that's how they write their entire books. Uh, so I, I definitely don't do that. Uh, you're looking at my office. You can't see much of it. There's a wall behind me, but there's other, other things in the office. Uh, and this is where I write pretty much 99% of, uh, all my books. I work best at home. I work best when it's like treated just like a job, which is what it is. Uh, I get a, early I start working and I work you know more or less a nine to five day or an eight to four day or whatever um one time one time with a book called Scholar that I mentioned earlier uh early in my career I had the, pretty much the only time that I've had something that was akin to writer's block and I really couldn't finish this book uh and I probably had maybe I don't know 50, 70 pages to write. Uh, and I just couldn't finish it. And the whole thing had become just like toxic to even to deal with. That was the one time that I went uh, and drove out, not in the country really, but drove out on the interstate several hours out of the city and just got one of those hotels off an exit and said, I'm going to, I'm going to buy some food. I'm going to sit in here for a few days. I'm going to finish this book. And the funny thing that happened was uh, a huge blizzard. It became The Shining, really. Yeah, I was, like, was going to say, you're, you're playing out a horror movie right oh, now. Oh, work and no play. <laughs> I was right near the Illinois-Wisconsin border, so pretty north. And it, the hotel got literally snowed in. It was only maybe for one day, but you couldn't leave the hotel. Like the, It was snowed around all the, uh, the entrances and exits. Just dumped like three feet of snow in one day and trapped you there? Yeah. I mean, it must have been more than that because we could not leave the building for a while. Uh, and even when I some, – some restaurants were open then on the other days that I was there. But to get them, you had to tromp through like waist-high snow. It was a really weird uh, – it was a lot weirder of a situation than I planned. But really, you couldn't even leave. So really, I had nothing to do but sit there and write and – go crazy and murder my family. <laughs> Get your fireman's axe out and just start hacking down doors. <laughs> and you were banned from that hotel chain from now. But I right? did finish the book. All those deaths were worth it. <laughs> well, like you said, it's a process, right? It's a process. <laughs> um, so I know we're kind of wrapping up close to an hour here, but before we go on, uh, I, we want, I wanted to definitely ask you, you know, we definitely talk about a lot of conspiracies and aliens and stuff. Any conspiracies uh, or UFO related stuff that you've ever been into or um, what do you, what's your favorite conspiracy theory out there? Well, I mean, I really like, I'm not a big conspiracy theory. Not. I, I really like the big uh, area 51 book that came out. When was that? 10 years ago or something? Yeah. Oh, was I that like the up, day, yeah. was that the day after Roswell? No, it's not the title. I think it's called Area 51. It and it probably has a subtitle. Oh, okay. That one? That one? Yeah, that's it. That's the one. I really like that. And there's, um, if you've read it and when she comes to sort of her 
grand conclusion of what Area 51 was. Um, it's compelling and really disturbing. Uh, so sort of a, in the modern, you know, the last like decade or so, that's kind of my favorite. Uh, but to go completely the other way, I remember being a kid, you know, I was probably like seven or eight. And uh, again, I lived in rural Iowa, so sort of out in the country. And there, there was sort of a conspiracy theory on my block. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Here we go. Yes. Here we go. Conspiracy. I mean, this is really small. Like, we're talking, there was probably like five houses on our block. I mean, it's a small rural place. But my neighbor, <laughs> this is great, my neighbor had a cousin who... <laughs> who uh, out in the field, because it was sort of a dead-end road, and then there were sort of, uh, you know, cow pastures and corn and stuff. And uh, his my my neighbor's cousin had seen an alien-type being, sort of a Mothman-type thing, out in the, uh, the fields and drew a picture of it so that uh, we could all know what to look out for. And... Uh, and, the, and it was such it was such a scary thing that the picture was folded up and kept under a rock in a ditch. <laughs> like that's perfect, like kid life. <laughs> That'll keep it away. This is so dangerous. We have to keep it outside beneath the rock, which of course immediately rendered it like like yeah. just a soppy mess of, <laughs> of, of a wood pulp. Um, but I do remember seeing it, you know, before it was destroyed. And, um, you know that was sort of a, a minor, a minor su- supposedly uh, supernatural event that definitely you know freaked me out back then. Now you said great. Was, this was in close to Chicago. No, this was in Iowa, rural Iowa. Oh, Iowa. So that's a whole other so, state over. In, in so you're, you're not really, you're not really in Mothman because where was where was Point Pleasant? That's West Virginia. West Virginia. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nope. Country Whoa, roads. he's got wings. He's got, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know his my we don't know his migration patterns. True. <laughs> Chicago has a mothman. They do. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did talk about him. The other, remember we talked about the we talked about flying humanoids, and they said they had the Chicago mothman for a couple just, times. Oh, that's like right, hundreds yes. of sightings over the last number of years. Yeah. So it's maybe it's followed me up here. It's all about me. Got to draw the picture and put it under a rocket. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you should go find it, and you should. You should see if it's still there under the rock. Not a bad premise either. Like, no, I was thinking that. There's monsters in the world, and a kid draws pictures of them and puts them in his ditch, and they go away. So yeah. now I'm an adult. I'm being haunted by or hounded <laughs> by the, the Chicago Mothman. I need to draw a picture of it, put it into the magical ditch under a rock, yeah. and maybe it'll go away. It goes away. I like it as a premise where it's like you go back to that neighborhood and you hear these kids talking about this, these things they're seeing. And you're like, let me find that rock. Does it look like this? And they're like, Oh shit, that's it, (laughs) mister. Who are you? And then you give them the picture and you'd be like, keep this safe. That's what you're looking for. Kids. If only we had laminated it back then. (laughs) It would still be there. That's too bad. Uh, do any other questions before we, uh, let Dan go? I don't think think so. so. I think think just answered all the questions so far. Dan just, uh, People call you Dan or Daniel or just Kraus or whatever combination of all three. You guys call me Kraus. Kraus it is. <laughs> Kraus it is. Kraus, where can uh, where can people find you? What's the best place to look up your books, get a hold of you? Uh, really just the old-fashioned website, danielkraus.com. We'll have links to all the various other things you need to know about. Solid website. Just his, uh, nice. his website. You can also learn about my next book, which is, comes out in June, which is The Living Dead co-written with my hero, George. Oh, that's Nero. right. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah, we didn't, that's okay. that's we didn't get okay. to it because I th- we thought maybe we'd save that for when it comes out. We'll maybe do it again. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. It's still, it's still way off. So, um, give people a quick teaser. Cause that's like but, the, but the man himself. George Romero, who I really grew up on his movies and was a huge student of, um, had, had written a portion of a, a zombie epic before he died. Right. Uh, died in 2017. Um, and shortly thereafter, his uh, manager and wife um, uh, sort of tapped me to to finish the book, uh, which is a, you know I would I would say it's a dream come true, but it's so far beyond what I could have dreamed of as a kid. Cool. Uh, 
so I spent you know a couple of years doing that, and it comes out uh, in June. And it's called Man. just simply the Living Dead. Man, so, so we yeah, kind of, you had me at Romero zombie epic, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's great. You know, wow. it's sort of his final word on zombies, and it it does the things he couldn't do in movies because he could never get the budgets for. So it's this expansive fifteen year sort yeah. of story. Were you kind of writing those books, kind of? Uh, simultaneously, or has uh, Ben Heavens been done for a while beforehand? Before it was released, no. Book publishing is is weird. Like everything's done uh, often eighteen months in advance. Right. So when you finish it, there's still a long time before it comes out. So no, and I was also very early with Ben Heavens. Um, so that book was finished long before, really. I did uh, Living Dead, I think. Although there might have been some revisions that overlapped a little. Right. Whatever. That's boring. Awesome. I'm pretty, I think uh, it's about an hour. Any other questions? Anything you want to ask us or ask our listeners? Or are you, do, you ever, do you do any like, live book readings or anything or any conventions? Or? Uh, yeah. Um, I've got a few festivals coming up. None of them specifically genre. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll be at New York Comic Con or San Diego this year. Uh, my book certainly will be there, uh, but I'm not sure if I will be yet. Um, and there'll be a book tour. There's a, a fairly large book tour around the George Romero book. Um, that'll be in mid-June. Cool. Well, everyone, we'll put uh, the link to it at danielkraus.com. All the links, all the tour dates, all the releases. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys. And go get his uh, book, Bent Heavens, wherever you buy books. Here it is. Is it, is it best? Uh, is it just best through the website, or people go to Amazon, or is it what's what? Uh, what gives you more your, profit? Your bookseller of choice. Uh, uh, any online site is fine. Uh, if you have a local bookstore, uh, support them. Support them. But support the local bookstore. Get it how you have to. And if you are lucky winner in April, you might get a copy getting sent to you uh, in our meat draw. And as we always say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Bye.